This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Praise the Lord. What a blessing for us to be here at the 40th celebration, Christian Family Church. My wife and I are so blessed and so excited. But you know, listen to all these great men and women speaking. Uh, I just feel very humbled to be even here to speak to you. And even more honored by uh, Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev to be asked to speak to you. And you know how much we love you. My wife and I love them so much. You know, and we've met them 13 years ago, and we became members of Christian Family Church San Antonio 13 years ago. And ever since then, our ministry and us personally have been so blessed being under them. So it's a blessing to be a part of this house. Amen? Praise the Lord. You may be seated. And I would not be here without my beautiful wife. There would be no ministry without her. Uh, I married way over my head. But that proves God's still in the miracle working business. Amen. On November 23rd, 1998, I had an experience that changed my life. It doesn't matter if you believe my experience. What matters is that you check out what the word of God has to say about hell and avoid it just the same. This was not a near-death experience. This was an out-of-body experience that's classified as a vision in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2, Paul said uh, when he was caught up in heaven, he said, whether in the body or out of the body, he didn't know. Well, the Lord showed me that I left my body. So in a vision, you can actually travel. Paul and John actually traveled to heaven in their spirit bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 talks about a natural body and a spirit body. And in Ezekiel chapter 8, he was picked up by his hair, carried from Babylon to Jerusalem in a vision. He was told to eat. He experienced the sweetness of the food in his stomach. He wept. He conversed. My point is, in a vision, you can experience the same things in your spirit body that you would in your physical body. It's just as real. And this is not to compare my experience with any of the great men of the Bible. I'm just trying to give you a scriptural basis of how this can occur for a Christian. The only way a Christian can see hell is in a dream revision. I've been a Christian for 50 years now. And uh, Job 7.14 says, You scare me with dreams and terrify me through visions. So you can have a terrifying vision. Isaiah 21.2, he was given a grievous vision. And in Job 4.14, Eliphaz was given a vision that caused his bones to shake. So you can have a grievous, terrifying, bone-shaking vision. Now you might say, Bill, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to hell. Why do I need to hear about hell? Three quick reasons. Number one, when you understand how severe hell is, you'll be much more appreciative of your own salvation from what he saved you from. See, a lot of Christians today believe in a teaching called annihilationism. And that's a teaching that says you simply cease to exist if you deny Jesus. But that is not true. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, these should go into everlasting life and these should go into everlasting punishment. He used the word everlasting as the word ionios. So just as heaven is everlasting, so is hell everlasting. And you'll thank God he saved you from this horrible place. Number two, it causes us as Christians to walk more in the fear of the Lord. You know, a lot of Christians live compromised lifestyles today. You know, Proverbs 16, 6 is, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. It's that healthy, reverential fear of Almighty God. And the fear of the Lord is simply that you respect God enough to obey His word. And when you understand how severe hell is, you will not want to compromise and uh, play around with sin. Mark 9, 47, Jesus said, If your eye offends thee, and the word offend means causes you to sin, He said, Pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than in the hell fire. So the fear of the Lord keeps you walking that straight walk. And number three, it gives us more of a passion for the lost, a desire to want to witness. Bill Bright said only 2% of Christians even bother to witness. 
that's really sad because Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That means all of us. That's our commission. We're supposed to go. But see, when you understand how severe hell is, you will want to go. You'll think, man, I didn't know it was this bad. I've got to talk to my family. I've got to, I've got to maybe pray and fast. I've got to get more diligently, pray more effectively and fervently for people that you know because now you see how severe hell is. And you'll pray more diligently. And then each day, you know, if you say, Lord, use me today. I'm, I, use me. I'll go and witness to anybody you say, Lord. If you have that heart, because that's God's heart, then God will put people in front of you. And you'll, you'll fulfill the calling we're supposed to do is to witness, to share with people. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, 11, Paul said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So when you understand the terror of the Lord, the judgment in hell in general, most commentaries say he was talking about also, when you understand that, you will be more persuasive with men. You will take more effort. You know, one pastor was talking to an atheist. This is a true story. And the atheist said to him, you know what? He said, if I really believed what you Christians believe, that hell was that severe, I would crawl on my hands and knees across my entire city over broken glass to get to my family and friends to warn them of what they face. But I don't see that in you Christians. I see you sitting in the pew comfortably, and I don't see that urgency in your heart to go witness. See, because that's because Christians don't have the understanding that hell is that bad. They don't really think about it, but it is. My wife and I went to a prayer meeting Sunday night. We attended every Sunday night. Nothing unusual about the night. I had never studied the topic of hell at that point. I had never gone to dark movies. I've never drank. I've never taken drugs. And I never had a vision before. I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning just to get a glass of water. And I was walking towards the kitchen. Suddenly, I was pulled out of my body, like being drawn up out of your body. And I found myself falling through the air down this long tunnel. And it was getting hotter and hotter. And I entered this open cavern-like area, and I landed on an actual stone floor in a prison cell in hell. Rough-hewn stone walls, bars, filthy, stinking, smoke-filled prison, but like a dungeon. I had no idea how I got there or why I was there. Nothing was explained to me at this point. But Isaiah 24, 22 says, And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit and shall be shut up in the prison. Proverbs 7.27 mentions going down to hell to the chambers of death. The word chambers means inner rooms. Job 17.16 says they shall go down to the bars of the pit. Many or more verses I could give you, but this is where I first found myself in this prison. And the first thing I noticed was the intense heat. It was so far beyond the ability to sustain life, I wondered, how could I be alive in this place? I should be dead. And so the first, my first reaction was I wanted to get up and run out of this prison cell. But I had no strength in my body. I thought, what's wrong with my body? But Isaiah 14, 9 and 10 says, Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. They will say, Art thou become weak as we? Psalms 88, 4 says, I am counted with them that go down into the pit. I am as a man that has no strength. If you ever had the flu and you felt weak, it's a thousand times worse than that. Any movement takes tremendous effort in hell. But see, Acts 17, 28 says, in him we live and move and have our being. So even movement, it's not automatic. It comes from God. I looked up and I saw these two demons in this prison cell. Uh, reptilish in appearance, bumps and scales all over the one's body, uh, huge jaw, sunken in eyes, claws about a foot long. And these particular two are about 12 or 13 feet tall. 
That's not an exaggeration. I could give you scripture for that, but I got to keep moving. And they were pacing in the cell like a vicious, caged animal. They had the most ferocious demeanor about them. And they had an extreme hatred for God and man. And they were blaspheming God. And, uh, but we know blasphemy comes from the demonic realm. Revelation 13, 6, James 2, 7, and some others. Then they directed this hatred they had for God. They directed it towards me. I wonder why. What have I done to them? But the one demon grabbed me, picked me up, threw me into the wall, this prison cell. I hit the wall. I felt as if bones had broken in my body. I wondered, how could I be alive through this? I should be dead. Now, I understood the pain was being blocked. I felt only a small amount of the pain, but the Lord explained on the way back, he blocked most of the pain that I would normally have felt, but he did allow me to feel a small amount so I could relate to people. It's not metaphorical. It's not a state of mind. It's real little pain you're going to feel in hell. Then the other demon grabbed me, picked me up, and dug its claws into my chest and tore the flesh open or what it looked like flesh. I couldn't believe, again, I'm surviving this. Why am I not dead from that? But I noticed I had a body. Matthew 10, 28 says, Fear him who was able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And remember Luke 16, the rich man Jesus talked about, he had a tongue, he had a mouth to speak, he had eyes to lift. You have a body in hell, but it withstands these torments. Something else I noticed, there was no blood or water coming from the wounds. It was just all dry. But Leviticus 17.11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Well, there's no life in hell, so there's no blood. And Zechariah 9.11 says thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. There's not one drop of water in hell. And these demons have no mercy over you whatsoever. They have an extreme hatred for you. But see, Psalms 103.17 says the mercy of the Lord is upon those that fear him. Well, they don't fear him in hell. So you don't derive the benefit of mercy. About this time it went dark. Now, I believed it was God's presence there to illuminate it so I could see, to describe to people what it looks like. But then he withdrew his light and it resumed its normal state of absolute pitch black darkness. But Lamentations 3, 6 says, He has set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. Jude 13 mentions blackness of darkness forever. But I mean it was so dark, you could not see the hand in front of your face. Uh, you could literally feel the darkness. I was taken out of this prison cell and placed over next to this large raging pit of fire. This pit was about a mile across, I just understood that, with flames raging high up into this open cavern. And it was not metaphorical or allegorical flames, it was real literal fire. Psalms 11:6 says, Upon the wicked he will rain fire and brimstone and a horrible tempest. Matthew 13, 49, this says, The angels shall sever the wicked from the just and cast the wicked into a furnace of fire. Many more scriptures I could give you on fire, but this is where I could first see people. I could see people inside this pit, thousands of them burning. Most of us have never seen a person on fire. I mean, it's the most awful sight to see a person burning. They just look like skeletons. You cannot distinguish a man from a woman. There was flesh hanging off their bones, it appeared to me. And the screams were so loud. You want to get away from and escape the screams, but you can't. It's deafening, and you have to endure that for all eternity. But see, Isaiah 57, 21 says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There is no peace of mind of any kind. But see, Isaiah 32, 18 says, My people dwell in a quiet resting place. You're not his people. So you don't derive the benefit of even quiet. I understood I was down deep in the earth. I descended to get there. I ascended when I left. But more importantly, there's 49 scriptures that talk about where the current hell is. Uh, Sheol is the Hebrew word. Hades is a Greek word. I'll just give you two. Ezekiel 26, 20. Numbers 16, 32, and 33, very clearest down deep in the earth. I understood there were different levels of torment and degrees of punishment. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 14, you shall receive the greater damnation 
Well, that infers a lesser damnation. Or Matthew 10, 15, he said, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That infers a less tolerable. Or Hebrews 10, 28, of how much worse of a punishment. But my point is, there is no tolerable, comfortable level in hell. Any level is far worse than your mind has ever conceived. I wanted to talk to my wife. I wanted to let her know where I was at. But I had the understanding I'll never have that opportunity again. And you don't realize how awful it is. I don't know what the word, to have no finality with your loved ones. You never get to say goodbye. See, you understand you're not going to get out. Job 7, 9 says, he that goes down to Sheol shall come up no more. You understand that, and to have no finality. You can't say goodbye to your loved ones. You can, I could not, never hug her again. I could never tell her I love her. I missed her so much, and I wanted to just say goodbye. You wanted to talk to people, but you're denied that. You don't get to be with people in hell. Even though I saw all those people in the flames, they're all kept at a distance from each other, so you never have any conversation again. You're isolated and alone, all by yourself in hell. And you have no purpose, no destiny. It's just a complete useless wasting away. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol. And it doesn't matter if you're somebody famous here. No one would know who you are there. You have no identity. Ecclesiastes 6.4 says, Your name is covered in darkness. And you're forgotten in hell. Psalms 88.12, Isaiah 26.14, many other verses. And, it, and that's an awful thing to be forgotten. Because you understand, nobody up on the earth has given you a thought. I mean, do you think about anybody in hell? No. You know, if you go to a funeral today, it's usually stated, well, they've gone to a better place, no matter what the religion. But that's not true. Jesus said in Matthew 7, most are going to hell and few are going to heaven. The stench in hell is the most foul, putrid, disgusting odors. Remember, Jesus rebuked the foul spirits, Mark 9, 25. Demons have a disgusting odor to them, but also the smell of the burning, if it's flesh, it smells like a burning corpse, like Isaiah 34, 3 says, and Isaiah 66, 24 mentions that, uh, the stench of burning flesh, and also the smell of burning sulfur. And if you go to Hawaii to the volcano, they have signs posted where you cannot go past a certain point because the to toxicity of the sulfur coming up, uh, it's called sulfur dioxide. If you breathe it, it'll kill you. It's toxic. Well, sulfur is just another word for brimstone. And the word brimstone is all through the Bible. So you're breathing in this foul, putrid, disgusting air that you don't want to breathe. But it's even worse than that because there's not enough air to breathe in hell. So you have to fight and gasp for even the tiniest bit of air in hell. And I'll have to demonstrate to you, this is how you breathe in hell. was as much air as you could get. Well, that's not enough. Any moment you feel like you're going to suffocate. But see, Isaiah 42.5 says, the Lord gives breath to the people upon the earth. You're not upon the earth. You're down deep beneath the earth. God is very specific with his word. You need to sleep in hell. Uh, just like here, we need sleep, but you never get to go to sleep. And, you know, Revelation 14, 10, and 11 says, And they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb and the presence of the holy angels. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. So, and I, it's no rest, no sleep of any kind. But see, Isaiah 57, 20 says, The wicked are like the troubled sea that cannot rest. You know, the sea is always moving. Can't rest. But see, rest is a blessing from God. Psalms 127.2 said, The Lord gives his beloved sleep. You're not his beloved. 
I was standing next to this big pit of fire and demons were shoving people back in as they were trying to claw their way out, but they had no strength to even pull themselves out. There were, I noticed I was standing on a, uh, beneath a tunnel and all along the cavern walls were demons of all different sizes and shapes, twisted, deformed, and grotesque. Some were only two and three feet tall, some 12 and 13 feet tall. Um, and there were snakes crawling all over everything and maggots. I noticed I was standing on a solid bed of maggots and they were crawling all over everybody. Remember Jesus said where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched, it's the word maggot. And Isaiah 14, 11 says where the maggot will be spread under thee and the worm will cover thee. And as Job 24, 20 says, the maggot will feed sweetly on thee. Is that disgusting enough? These are all things you have to endure in hell. The fear level is so far beyond anything you can imagine. And I, I just want to share with you quickly so you understand because the Bible says fear has torment. And the torment in hell, the fear is at this level constantly. And when I was a teenager, I used to surf. And I was surfing off Cocoa Beach, Florida, and a bunch of sharks came by, tore the guy's leg off next to me, bled all over the water. And I got up on my knees, and a shark passed by my board. It was longer than my nine-foot board. It was a tiger shark. If you know anything about tiger sharks, they're vicious, they eat anything. And the shark came back, bit my board in half, grabbed my leg, pulled me down under the water. Now you can imagine the fear that I felt at that moment. Well, that fear that I felt then paled in comparison to what you feel in hell. Wouldn't even register. But see, Psalm 73, 18 and 19 says, you cast them down into destruction where they are utterly consumed with terror. And this terror is for all eternity. But thank God the shark opened his mouth, let me go, and I didn't even have a mark in my leg. That's impossible. God was looking out for me then. And I was not even a Christian then. But I got saved immediately after that. <laughs> Praise God. Thank the Lord. We serve a good God. Amen? That's right. You know, I'm just going to take one minute and give you scripture because this is important for you to believe. It's not important for you to believe in my experience, but you might say, come on, Bill, aren't you exaggerating hell? You know, demons tormenting and all that. Let me just take a minute and give you scripture. Is that all right? Matthew 18, 34 mentions being delivered to the tormentors. Luke 12, 47 says you'll be beaten with many stripes or beaten with few. Psalms 50, verse 22, you that forget God, you'll be torn in pieces. Matthew 24, 51, I will cut them in pieces where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Psalms 116:3. the pains of Sheol have gotten hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Amos 5, 18 and 19, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? Judgment day, it'll be darkness. And as a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Job 33:22. his soul draws near to the pit and his life to the destroyers. Deuteronomy 32:22. for a fire is kindled in my anger and shall burn unto the lowest hell. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with poison of serpents of the dust. Jesus said in Matthew 22:13, bind them hand and foot and take them away and cast them into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, Luke 19, 27, he said, bring my enemies before me and slay them before me. Luke 20, 18, this stone, whoever it falls on, will grind him to powder. The stone is Jesus he was talking about himself. And one more verse, Psalm 74, 20, says, for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty full of the habitations of cruelty. The word cruelty there, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, number 2555, it's the word Hamas. We've all heard that word before, right? The terrorist group Hamas. The word Hamas means ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. So for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of ruthlessness, violence, cruel hatred, and destruction. 
Now you say, Bill, why would my God make such a horrible place? Well, Jesus said why. In Matthew 25, 41, he said, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. He never intended for man to go to this horrible place. But he used the word prepared. Same word he used in John 14, 2, to go to prepare a place for us in heaven. So he's preparing heaven for us, hell for the devil. So you see, James 1, 17 says, every good gift comes down from above from the five of lights. So what he did in the preparation was he simply withdrew his goodness or his attributes. See, hell is dark because 1 John 1, 5 said, God is light. There's only death in hell because John 1, 4 said, God is life. There's only hatred in hell because 1 John 4, 16 said, God is love. There's no mercy in hell because Psalms 36, 5 says, the mercy of the Lord is in the heavens. There's no strength in hell because Psalms 18, 32 said, it's the Lord that gives us strength. There's no water in hell because Deuteronomy 11, 11 says, water is the rain of heaven. And there's no peace in hell because Isaiah 9, 6 says, he is the prince of peace. So see, if God removes himself from the situation, all the good goes with him. You can't have the good without God. You can't separate the two. So if you're a person in life that says, you know what, I don't want anything to do with God. Well, fine, there's a place prepared. There's nothing to do with him. Other than one thing, the fire in hell does represent God's wrath. All through the scripture, it says he will pour out his wrath on sin in the form of fire. But God poured out his wrath on Jesus on the cross so we wouldn't have to take that wrath. So you can either let Jesus take it or you can take it. It's your choice. As I was looking at all this horror, demons shoving people back in, burning, screaming, Something began lifting up this dark tunnel. And suddenly, this bright light appeared. I knew immediately who it was. But I want to talk to you about that on Friday. But I just want to say this. If you're here and you'd say, Bill, but how can this loving God send a good person to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. I'll get to that in a minute. But if you're going to go by the standard of good, you've got to have to go by God's standard of good. And see, James 2.10 says, if we offend his law, one point, we're guilty of all. If we break, if we lie once, steal one thing, have one lustful thought, that's the same as committing adultery. No adulterer will inherit heaven. So if we've got one time, one sin, that would exclude us from heaven. That's God's standard if we lie one time. There's even a scripture in Proverbs 24.9 that says, even the thought of foolishness is a sin. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? So one fool thought would exclude you from heaven. So none of us could make it by good works. Thank God it's not based on good works. It's based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you might not be convinced about the good. Some people really struggle with this. So um, it's like I was on a secular radio talk show, and the, the radio man said, uh, listen, don't you quote me one Bible verse over my airwaves. You got that? I said, okay. He said, I submit to you that you Christians are unreasonable, that uh, you, your God doesn't consider my viewpoint. My viewpoint is just as valid as yours. I'm a good person. And if he doesn't let me in heaven, he's actually guilty of a hate crime. So what do you got to say for yourself, Christian? Now, I was live on the air across the whole America. What do you say? Well, God gave me an analogy. I said, okay, you think you're a good person. You should be let in heaven. I said, say you went and found the most expensive home in the country, knocked on their door and said, excuse me, but I'm moving in with you because I'm a good person. What do you think the people would say? No, right? You don't know them. You have no relationship with them. I said, but you, you go through your whole life. You have nothing to do with God. You deny Jesus as the son of God, which he said is the only way to his house. Then at the end of your life, you have the nerve to come knock on his door, demand to live there because you're a good person. What does good have to do with it? You don't know him. You have no relationship with him. See, God offered to be your father throughout your whole life, I said. But you pushed him away. You denied him. See, God is your creator. He's not your father to invite in Jesus as your savior. Then he becomes your father. Galatians 3.26, John 1.12, John 8.44, Romans 9.7 and 8, John 17.9, all explain that he's your creator. He's not your father. 
do you invite a man? So that's unreasonable to expect to live in someone's house you don't even know. He said, well, you Christians are narrow-minded. You think you're the only ones that's right. He said, I think all roads lead to heaven. That's what I think. I said, well, let me give you another analogy. Say you invited me over to dinner to your home, and you said, Bill, I want you to go south on Highway 95, turn right at Main Street, go up the hill, you'll come to my house. But that's the only way to get to my house. And I say to you, you know what? I think I'm going to go north on 95. I'm going to get off at Beach Boulevard because I think all roads lead to your house. That's what I think. Well, you're going to tell me, Bill, you're not going to get to my house. I'm trying to give you clear directions to my house. The same way God gives us clear directions to his house. I think God knows where he lives. Right? All we have to do is follow his clear directions. That's not narrow-minded. That's specific. He's given us clear directions on how to get there. And here's the directions. John 3.36 says, He that believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he that believes not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. How do you know the Son? Just two verses. Luke 13.3, Jesus said, Unless a man repent, you shall all likewise perish. Repent means that you have a humble heart to admit, Man, I'm a sinner. And you're willing to turn away from a sinful lifestyle and follow Jesus. It's not enough to mentally assent to the fact and say, yeah, I believe Jesus is God, and just go live your own life, do your own thing. That's not repentance. It's turning away from sin and agreeing to follow Jesus. Now, on your own, you cannot resist sin. But when you come to God, you get born again. God gives you a new heart, a new nature, a new spirit, and he gives us the grace or the ability to stand against the sin. But right now, you just have to be willing. And number two, Romans 9, 10, and 10, 9, and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. We have to believe in our own heart and confess him with our own mouth. But if you say, Bill, I just don't believe that. Well, I have a verse for you. Revelation 21, 8 says, all unbelievers shall have their part in the lake of fire. So he just gave you the warning. If you don't believe his word, you will end up in the lake of fire. That's why Jesus could say in Matthew 12, 37, your own words will condemn you because you said, I don't believe the Bible. You send yourself to hell. He's not sending anybody. It's not his decision. He left it up to us. Do you believe him or don't you? That's the bottom line. Revelation 20, 15 says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God actually has a book and he's going to look to see if our names are in his book. And you do not want to take a chance that your name is not in his book because the most valuable thing you have is your soul. And whether you believe it or not, you will spend it in one place or the other. And heaven is not our default destination. There needs to be a purposeful act on our part. You know, when the Titanic set sail, there were all different beliefs, all different religions, all different walks of life on that ship. And they say there were three classes of people, the lower, the middle, and the upper class. But when the ship went down at the Starline office in Liverpool, England, there were two signs posted. And the people would wait anxiously each day as a man would come out and write their relative's name down on one of the signs. One sign said, known to be saved. The other one said, known to be lost. Now, when the ship left, all different beliefs, all different religions, and three classes. But in the end, there's only two. You're either saved or you're lost. And it's your choice. So my question for you today is, do you know if your name is written in his book? You have to know this. Please don't take a chance with your soul and think, you know, I can think about this later. Because you don't know that you'll have later. And once you leave here, you don't understand this, but your heart actually grows harder and it's more difficult to reach you. And God's given you an opportunity right now to receive him. It's a free gift. Why would anybody turn down a free gift? 
And you don't have to clean yourself up when you come to God. He'll clean you up. You just come as you are. This is the most important decision any of us can ever make. And if you could see hell for five seconds, if you weren't saved, you'd run to this altar. Yeah, you would. So I'm going to ask you at the count of three to raise your hand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you say, Bill, I don't know if my name's in his book. I'm not certain. But I want to be certain. Or you might say, Bill, I've never really truly repented. Or maybe you've just been backslidden and not living right with God. Today's the day to get your life right. And you can have assurance that your name is, is in his book. If you raise your hand at the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You want to make sure God sees that hand wherever you're at. Raise your hand high because he said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. I see your hand. I see your hand. You want to be certain. I'm just going to take 10 more seconds. If there's anybody else, please slip up your hand. Don't take a chance with your soul. All right, we're going to say a quick prayer for anybody that raised their hand. And we can all say this prayer. This will change your whole eternity. Say, dear God in heaven, I know that I've sinned. I cannot save myself. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me that he was crucified, died and was buried, but rose again. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. You are the Son of God. I surrender my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking me to heaven. And I now confess I'm a born-again Christian going to heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. Thank you.